We have something unique for you today. I really want to uh, invite you to just follow along with us and enjoy the journey today. I'm gonna. Uh, we've been in a journey since the beginning of January, looking at the grand story of God. Pastor John, will you hand me a copy of the story? This is a chronologically arranged version of the NIV Bible. Uh, it's written as a novel. There are no chapter and verse descriptions because the objective is for you to understand it as a story. We too often see the 66 books of the Bible as uh, individual stories, individual books written by individual authors over hundreds of years. It seems confusing how it all fits together, but in actuality, it is the main storyteller is God trying to tell us his story, because the only way we will ever know where our story fits in the grand story of God is to know his story. If you haven't picked up a copy of this, uh, I challenge you to do so when you leave today. We have a bunch of them, and they are, uh, we've been able to get a discount on them from where you can get anywhere else. But you can download them on your e-readers and, and all of that. You can begin reading in chapter 22. It's where the New Testament begins in the copy of the story. If you don't have one or want one, you can read along with us beginning in Matthew And I challenge you to read this week, immerse yourself in the New Testament, get ready for the word that we'll begin taking a journey through beginning next Sunday. Um, I've asked Pastor Mike and Pastor John to help me this morning. I'm kind of opening it up and I'm going to close it. But I've asked them to help me because Pastor Mike preached at the end of the Old Testament. Here we are as a people of God waiting on God to break into human history And the people of God come to the end of the Old Testament and there's this height of anticipation that comes. The story of God reaches this pinnacle moment and uh, the answer doesn't come. And so uh, Pastor Mike is going to catch us up where we have been in the Old Testament. And I'm going to go ahead, Pastor Mike, come. I want want him to catch us up on that moment. And, And the scriptural history is divided into literally three parts. You got the Old Covenant. And then there's this 400 years of intertestamental period. Uh, and then you have uh, the New Testament begins. And Pastor Mike ended the Old Testament for us. And it's kind of like a television series. You watch the same series with different seasons. When they launch a new series, you go back and you look at what happened. They kind of show the first 30 seconds are catching you up. Because you haven't been following the series or you need a little refresher so that you kind of jump in and know where we're going. And that's kind of what Mike and John are going to be doing before I come back and we launch into a study of the New Testament. I feel like right here I should say previously in season one of the story. (laughs) In light of the story, let me tell you a story. Uh, there, in 1952, there's a woman named Florence Chadwick, and Florence Chadwick was an endurance swimmer. Uh, and this has nothing to do with the story. This is my own personal comedy, uh, that or comment. Uh, the idea of <laughs> endurance swimming freaks me out a little bit because anything that the goal of it is to see how long you can do it usually ends up in somebody passing out. Um, and then just me swimming, yeah, I, you, you fill in the blanks. I don't do the swimming thing well. So uh, the endurance swimmer idea kind of freaks me out a little bit. But her goal uh, was to try and swim from the Catalina Islands to the, the coast of ca- California. And she had already many times swam back and forth in the, in the English Channel. She had proved that she was a seasoned swimmer, a great endurance swimmer. And so she set out in 1952 to accomplish this goal of swimming from the Catalina Islands to the coast of California. So in the midst of that, they had everything arranged. She had trained. She had coaches in a small boat, her mom in a small boat. They were making noise and doing everything they could to protect her from sharks. Um, She had prepared herself for the cold, the frigidness of the water, and she's swimming and she's swimming. For 15 hours, she swims. 
15 hours in these ocean waters fighting against the currents and the waves to get where she's going. And at that moment of 15 hours, she looks up and says, I'm too exhausted to continue to do this. And they pull her out of the, bo- out of the water and she's on a boat. And I got to imagine that she's sitting there thinking, how did this happen? I, I portrayed, I prepared, I, I, I avoided the sharks, I navigated this. Like, I should be getting onto the shore with fanfare and a parade and excitement, but instead I'm sitting in the boat in this awkward silence of frustration and failure. How did I end up here when the expectation was that I was going to be celebrating this accomplishment? I was ready for this, I was supposed to be doing this. And she sat there thinking, how did I get there? When I think about the Old Testament, I think about how it ends. Oftentimes I ask the question, how did we get here? Uh, The book of Malachi is a a great example of that. The book of Malachi is not the book that you sit down and put on your Snuggie and drink a warm cup of coffee and just, oh, this is the love of the Lord. It's a rebuke. God sounds angry in Malachi. And he, he begins to say some things to them that as he begins to talk about, you've turned from me, you've failed, you've quit, you've stopped pursuing me, you haven't made it all of the way. He begins to answer some of those questions. And Malachi 3 is a conversation that God's having with them. And one of the things that he says is this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? It's almost like God's saying, you are far from me. And they're saying, how are we far from you? We don't even realize it. And maybe that's part of the, the lower story. That's, that's the example of God's upper story. That since day one in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, on the day that they sinned, there was this chasm between God and man. And they were, we were separated from them. And what we started to realize as we read the story is that God desperately wants to be with us. That God is moving heaven and earth, moving all of eternity to get to us. And man has been trying to do it their part. But we've noticed that no matter how well we've trained, no matter how well we've navigated, we haven't been able to get there. Whether that is Noah and he was the best of everyone, but even Noah being the best of everyone couldn't be good enough to get man back to God. Or whether that's, that's Abraham and Sarah, they seem to be the least and the unlikely that why would God use them to bring a nation to interact with people because they were too old and too infertile and too enabled to be the people that God wanted them to be. To all of the, to Moses who had a certain gift mix but couldn't control his anger and they wandered for 40 years. To David who was this shepherd boy king that seemed to get it all right but then when you look on the inside of his family it seems like he couldn't even hold his own family together much less the people of God to become in two split kingdoms. And part of me says... How did we get here? Because it seemed like God did so much through the sinfulness of man, the inability of man, the oppression of other nations that he brought his people so far and then they seemed to get stuck. They interviewed Florence Chadwick and they asked her, what happened that you didn't make it all the way there? What happened to you? And she said, the fog was so dense that I couldn't see the shore. The part that I didn't tell you is that when she got on the boat and she looked out, she realized that she was less than a mile away from reaching her goal. 15 hours in the water and you're less than a mile away and you're so close that you give up. And when I read Malachi and I hear what God's saying to them, it seems like they're so close, but then they give up. They're so close to reaching the shore. They're so close to closing that chasm and they've done the chasm and they've done everything they can do. They've shared all the ability that they've had. They strained, they stretched, they tried and they couldn't seem to get there. And they're stuck on this boat saying, how did we get here and why couldn't we get there? And it almost seems as if God begins to give them the answer. But then there's a little bit of frustration from that. Malachi chapter four. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. For you who hear my, who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
I didn't grow up on a farm, but I assume the calves are happy in that verse. Like, it seems like it's a good thing. And so it's this moment of God communicating that, that I'm going to destroy your enemies, that I'm going to rise with healing in my wings, that, I, that you are going to have a joy and a freedom like calves coming out of a stall, that something good is going to happen. But I almost feel their frustration because right after that, it seems like he goes silent. For 400 years, there's no words. It's like Florence Chadwick sitting on the boat saying, if I could only have seen the shore. It's like the people of God were saying, if I could only see what you were doing, if I could only understand what you were doing with this heartache and this science, if I could only understand how, if we can't get to you, how you were going to come to us, if I could only understand what you're doing in this silence, I wouldn't have quit. I would have made it there. Maybe that's some of you. That you're in a place where you feel like God has brought you so far, but now you're asking yourself, how did I get here? Because I can't see you through the fog. I can't feel you through the frustration. I can't hear you through the silence. Maybe he's speaking and you just don't know it. I'm going to invite Pastor John to share with us some lessons we might learn from the silence. Mike has brought us to about 426 years before the birth of the Messiah. We're at the end of the New Testament. God, the Old Testament, and God has spoken, God has delivered his people, God has transformed uh, just a few people that were errant in the desert, and they become the people of God, the people of the covenant, they become a nation, yet there is fog out there for them. And God chooses silence to communicate with them. God chooses the language of silence to teach them lessons that they were not able to learn otherwise. We live in a world that is uncomfortable with silence. And yet they went through a period of 400 years of silence, which is generation after generation after generation. And there were no prophets. There was no spoken word. There was nothing but what they had lived in their past. They had to hang on to those promises. And they were questioning God and asking God why. And there were a few things that we could pull out of those 400 years that I believe in seasons where we are desperate, in seasons when we are asking God why. When we're asking God, God, I feel like I'm praying my prayers and they're just bouncing off the wall back to me. God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with this marriage that is not working. I'm tired of, of working on my finances and they are not improving. I'm exhausted and I'm asking you for a response. I'm asking you for guidance. I'm asking you for direction. And I'm asking you these deep questions about my life and my future and my family and my ministry. And you seem silent. Yet I got a small group and I show up there and somebody prayed for a parking lot. And you gave them the parking spot, and they're thanking you for that. And you seem to respond to those prayers, but you don't seem to respond to my prayers, which are really, I'm at a crossroads. And that's where the people of God were during this season. God was about to do something extraordinary. God was about to do something beyond what they had ever seen before. God was about to change the course of history forever. But before he did, he was in silence for 400 years. And there is something critical that we learn from what God did during these 400 years. If you look at history, there were things happening behind the scenes that when you are in the midst of it, when you are part of God's story, it is sometimes impossible to get hold and be able to read the upper story because you are a character in God's story. Are you still with me? 
So when they're here in the midst of, of just loneliness, lack of resp- apparent lack of response, and they feel that God is giving them, the, giving them the silent treatment, here you have the Persians guiding together, and, and, and the Persian Empire just goes against the Greeks, and, and the Greeks said, you know what? Let's all get united, and Philip of Macedon gets everybody together, and and the Greeks actually win the war, and and they began to make some changes. It was their turn to rule the world. And as the Greeks took over, several things happened. Number one, there was a common language. It's, It's been said that during that time, everyone spoke a little bit of Greek. For the first time in history since the Tower of Babel, there was a common language that people were able to communicate through. The second thing was the Socratic method of asking questions. There were a lot of questions, but very few answers. In the midst of this, God is getting ready to give the world the answer through Jesus Christ. So you have common thought, common ways of asking questions. You have a common language, and then... Caesar Augustus comes, and it's the time of the Romans to lead the world, and and he dies about 25 years before the birth of Christ, and and uh, Caesar Augustus comes, and uh, Julius Caesar was first, and and then Caesar Augustus comes, and, and basically there was 200 years of universal peace. 200 years where the Roman Empire or the Pax Romana took over, and people were able to travel freely. They were able to communicate freely. There was actually some system of highway patrol that would protect the people as they travel. So during these 400 years of apparent silence, God was working behind the scenes. In your life, when you believe that God has stopped speaking to you, you could be sure, I assure you, that God is working on your behalf. That God's purpose will be fulfilled. That when you cannot see what's happening, it may be that you cannot see the upper story. But the time is going to come when you're going to step back and you're going to be able to see, God, that's what you were doing. Not only did you give me the answer, you prepared the way. You made the way because you are the way. So the first thing he taught his people is when you think God is in silence, he is working on your behalf. He is working on the behalf of his purpose, and those two collide and come together in his perfect timing. The second thing he taught his people, or we could pull out during this season, is the fact that when we don't hear God, we want God to speak. Isn't that right? We come to church, or we get in our small groups, and, and we say, God, I'm ready for a word. God, I cannot take another step. God, it is so cloudy out there. I've swim, I've swim so, so, so far, but I don't see. I don't see the shore. I don't know what I'm going to do next. God, I need you to speak directly to me. And there was something interesting, and I could just picture the people of Israel referring back during this time of silence and remembering what God had done for them when they were leaving Egypt. And they know that God delivered them. And they know that God delivered them because they are people of the covenant. They are people of the promise. And God delivered them. They look back and here's Pharaoh's army. And here is the desert. Here is the Red Sea. And God just parted that Red Sea for us. And I could imagine every Passover during those 400 years of silence. Remembering the times of what God had done for them in the past. 
And they remember when God provided for them, when God fed them, when God gave them a column to protect them of the sun and the heat during the day. And at night, God gave them another column of fire that protected them of the cold and guided them and gave them food and light. And, and, and God destroyed armies on their behalf. And God these all did all these great things for a long time. And judges were rising, kings and prophets. And now they're in the middle of this silence. They know that this is not the end of their story. They know that God has not completed their journey, but there is silence. And in the middle of it, when God didn't speak, they went back to his word. I could imagine them going to Isaiah chapter 41 and just saying to their children, don't be afraid, quoting God, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious hand. And sometimes that's difficult for us to grasp. And I'll quickly just just share you why. We humans speak in a language of symbols. When we say a car, we, we, we speak about the symbol of a car. When we talk about a house, when we talk about a friendship or a family, we're referring to abstract Concepts or ideas. But when God speaks, He speaks the language of reality. When God says, I am, it's because He's right there with you. When God says, "You today, you will be with me in paradise. When He says, Lazarus, come forth, He's speaking life. He's speaking reality. So when God speaks, and there are several things in Scripture. There are stories, and there are poems, and there are narrations. But when God says, I am your I am, when God says, I am your way, when God says, I have a promise for you, I have a purpose for you, that Word of God can be nothing else but reality in your life. And you get hold of what He has said in the past to be able to sustain you in a difficult moment in the present. When God is silent in the present, you could always go back to what he has said. I love what Job did in chapter 23. He had lost everything, a great man of God. And he lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his children, he lost his ranch, he lost everything. And look what he says in chapter 23. He he says, if I go east, he's not there, referring to God. Verses 8 through 12. If I go west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns south, I catch no glimpse of him. In other words, God for me, for Job, he's saying he's nowhere to be found. God, I trust in you. God, I believe in you. God, my faith is in you, but you're nowhere to be found. But look at what he says in the next verse. Verse number 10. But he knows the way that I take. But he knows the way that I take. He is watching over me. He knows exactly where I'm at. He knows exactly what my pain is. He knows exactly what my destiny and my future and my purpose and my calling and what he's doing in my life. He knows exactly. Nothing has caught him by surprise. And look at number 12, and I'm going to end with this. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. In other words, he has kept his word. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. In other words, Job went back to what God had already promised, to what God had already said 
And he says, I know, I know that I will come through on the other side. So when God is silent, if you're in a moment of silence right now, three things to remember. God has already spoken over your circumstance. Second thing, God is already working on your behalf and he's doing things that you're not able to see. And I guarantee you, and you could be sure, I assure you that God is watching over you and your loved ones. So how did we get here? The launch of the New Testament from a time where God brings his people in the Old Testament to this moment of anticipation that he's going to break into human history in an unprecedented way. And then boom, he goes silent. And yet we see from what Pastor John has told us, there are things that God's people, what he was doing, they could have been learning in the silence, getting us ready for this end breaking into human history. What you're going to learn over the next several weeks is going to have profound impact on your spiritual growth as a believer. If you're a seeker, and what I mean by that is if you, you have a spiritual interest, but you've not really made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, these next few weeks are vitally important to you as well because the study of the scriptures are going to reveal God's plan for your life. You say, well, pastor, maybe you'll ask me, why is studying the New Testament that important? Why should I commit to be here every Sunday to hear this journey through the New Testament? Why should I rearrange my weekly schedule to connect with the small group? Let me spend just the remaining time that we have together answering that question. Number one, the story of God pinnacles in the New Testament. Everything that Pastor Mike said we were building to in anticipation as the people of God looking for something, what he went silent and waited to tell before there was a common language and a common people and a common road system, he had to get everything ready before the advent or the breaking in of God into human history. We see in the very beginning in Genesis that God's number one priority, the reason he created man is because he had so much love and so much life, he didn't want to have it by himself. He wanted to share it with somebody. So he created this beautiful place in the Garden of Eden. He put these two beautiful people in that garden because he wanted to hang out with us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to do life with us. That's the story of the Bible. A loving God wanting to be with his people. And he did. Every afternoon, he came and took intimate walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. But sin severed that relationship. And so the rest of the Old Testament is this loving God chasing and pursuing after his people, even in their sin, even in their rebellion, even in their disobedience. He chases them and creates opportunities to dwell among them. There's this, when there are nomadic people, they have a a tabernacle and they take a tabernacle down and move it and they put it up. And every time they put that tabernacle up, the presence of God fills that tabernacle because God wants to be with us. And then you find them find the promised land and and then they build this temple and the Bible says that the glory of God fills that temple so powerfully that the priest could not even stand to perform their duty. Why? Because the same God that took walks with Adam and Eve took up residence in the tabernacle. He wanted to be with them. The same God, even though Eden was lost, when he had them build specifically and intricately a temple because he was trying to recapture what was lost in the Garden of Eden. He just wanted to be with us. He wanted to hang out with us. 
And so you get all the way to the New Testament where we're going to begin studying detail next week. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The statement made His dwelling among us literally translates God tabernacled among us. It's the same language. The God that filled the Old Testament tabernacle and then the Old Testament temple. He wanted to be with us so bad that He became one of us. He, He put the Son of God in the flesh of a baby and for 33 and a half years God tabernacled among us in the man Christ Jesus. He wanted to be with us so badly that He became one of us. The story of God. Everything about the Old Testament and human history and everything looks forward to the incarnation. The inbreaking of God into human history. It is the hinge on which all of history swings. And then everything after that moment looks back on the entrance of Jesus Christ into the world. Let me just point out to you some things about Scripture. Why it's important for you to study this. You look at the Gospels and then the book of Acts and then the epistles or the letters and then the book of Revelation. Think about it. The Gospels first. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books at the beginning of the New Testament answer this question. What is God like? You ever wanted to know? You ever knew anybody that wanted to know what is God like? How do I point somebody to a place to read what is God like? Tell them to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because on the pages of those Gospels, you have a revelation of what God is like. Joseph Hellerman put it this way. The earthly ministry of Jesus of Nazareth constitutes the one time in the history of humanity when heaven fully and finally came to earth. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the opportunity to see the question, what is God like? Answered in the flesh and blood world in which we live. During his incarnation, Jesus not only procured our way to heaven, he also shows us how to live on earth. Now we can pattern our lives after Jesus. I spent a lot of time with some college students this week, and I had one of them was a senior about to graduate and praying with them in the altars. He said, Pastor, pray with me. I've been studying to go into business for the last four years, and I'm a believer, and I want to do something big for Jesus. But he said, I need God to give me a vision. I mean, I need him to give me a download of a vision for my life. And as I was opening my mouth to pray for him, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to say to him, Jesus is the vision. Pattern your life after Jesus, and God will work out all the little details. And so before I told him that, I said, what I'm about to say to you is going to sound so simple, it sounds cliche. It sounds like this is what I say to every kid who asks me this question at an altar. And I said, it's not. I really believe it's simple, but it's profound. If you will study the four Gospels and spend the rest last year of college trying to figure out how your speech should follow and look like Jesus, how your actions should follow and look like Jesus, study Jesus, everything that he did, the way he taught and preached, how he led with authority from a position of humility, how he responded to his enemies, how he embraced his friends, the model of his prayer life, the model of the way he suffered. If Jesus becomes your vision and you trust God to work out all the details before you graduate, then if you model everything after him, you will model the way he overcame. You will model the way he defeated sin and death. Jesus is the vision. Jesus is the model. And if you want to really know what God is like, immerse yourself in the Gospels. 
And then you get to the book of Acts. A lot of people see the book of Acts as merely a historical book. And it is a historical narrative. But it is so much more. When you read the book of Acts, you're literally getting a glimpse through a window into the soul of the early church. The book of Acts is the blueprint for what post-resurrection Christianity is supposed to look like. We see the church and life as it actually is when the Holy Spirit is guiding the affairs of man. And it's not always pretty. Because when the dirt of humanity and the divinity of God collide, you're going to get dust. And when Luke records what happens in the book of Acts, he doesn't shy away from telling us about the dust. But despite the obvious frailty of the human vessels in Acts, you see the power of the Holy Spirit working to glorify Jesus and the church is expanded exponentially. Despite the fact that human frailty is center stage in the book of Acts. And may it be a reminder to us as we journey through that historical book that our imperfections as a church and our inadequacies as individual people are trumped by the power of the Holy Spirit when he begins to live the life of Jesus through us. A modern day repeat of the book of Acts is possible if the Holy Spirit would make Jesus real to us and begin to live the life of Jesus through us. When you read the New Testament, you get to the end of the Gospels, there's almost like this, you know, conclusion. When you read Paul's letters, you get to the end of them, there's kind of this doxology, kind of like this peace out. You kind of know he's just about finished. When you get to the book of Acts, it's almost like it ends in mid-sentence. You get to Acts 28 and you're like, boom. I mean, it's like we stopped in the middle of a chapter, like it wasn't supposed to be over. And I don't know if it was the intent, but the way I see Acts stopping in mid-stride is because God's intending that the Holy Spirit come upon His people in the 21st century, and Acts 29 is supposed to be lived through our Spirit-empowered lives. And then you get to the letters or the epistles. And they are literally letters that were written by various apostles to a specific person or group of people or specifically to the church. Like the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, First and Second Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, Romans, to the church in Rome. So you have, you have these books that were literal letters and they contain in them the practical application of Jesus' teachings to everyday life. When you read the epistles, you are actually reading... Christian thought, Christian belief applied to everyday life. How do we how do we deal with those in authority? How do we deal with interrelationships? I went to a small group before and I, I got in conflict with the, somebody in a small group. That's why I hadn't been back. The epistles tell us what the teachings of Jesus look like when they are applied to everyday life. That's the reason we need to immerse ourselves in the epistles to try to figure out how we're supposed to live as believers in this particular world and then the book of revelation the book of revelation is the last book in the bible but it's also the consummation or the fulfillment of this entire story of god and what i love when i get to the end of revelation the bible ends just like it started you remember it started in a garden where god created a beautiful people in a beautiful place because he wanted to be with them he just wanted to hang out with them and he came and he dwelt with them he walked with them but when that was lost 
He came into a mobile tabernacle. And then he came into a beautiful temple. And then he came into the body of Jesus for 33 and a half years. And Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I'm going away because the Holy Spirit that's been in me is going to be in you. And Paul told us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there is coming a moment when the promised land, the Old Testament saints were looking for, are going to pale and give way to a promised land that God has created for all of us that will step into to it as his people for all of eternity. Revelation 21 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The grand vision of God that started the scriptures in Genesis is now full circle come to the end. It was paradise in the beginning. It's now paradise in the end and the grand vision of God has now been restored. God is with his people and because of this promise you and I have have this hope that someday as a believer God is going to take walks with us in the cool of the day just like he did with Adam and Eve no restraint nothing in the way no more sin no more sickness no more death and God will forever be with his people it ends the way it starts the reason we need the book now is because we got to live in the middle. We're not Adam and Eve, and we're not there yet where God has permanently made his dwelling. We're still trying to find environments where the presence of God is because that yearning in our heart for God is there because he put it there. He wants to be with us. And the reason we need to immerse ourselves in the scripture is what Pastor John said a moment ago from that passage in Job 23 and 12. Job said, I love God's word more than my daily bread. When his life was falling apart, the word of God sustained Job when life didn't make sense and as people who are living in between paradise lost and paradise restored sometimes life doesn't make sense and preachers and churches don't have all the answers we need to immerse ourselves in the word of God because it's the word that will sustain us living in the between time so my prayer as a pastor as a Christian but my prayer for us as a pastor is that God would renew our hunger for his word. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. If you open and you look for the very center verse of the Bible, you want the dead center verse of the Bible, it's in Psalm 119. It's the very center chapter and the very dead center of the Bible is in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter written in the Bible and it's all about the word. The psalmist expresses his love for the word in these few verses of Psalm 119 verse 9. How could a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let me ask you an honest question before we leave today. When you got saved... When you gave your life to Jesus, when you became a Christian, be honest, think about it. Were you just buying an insurance policy to hedge against your bets from an eternity without God? Were you just trying to check off, you know, you got all your financial, trying to get your retirement and get your IRA and your tax situation set up. So this was another thing on your bucket list in the next life. And so you became a Christian, got your name written down on a church roll, met the preacher, could say I'm saved, kind of got another mark off of the list. Was that what it was? Or did you really commit yourself to becoming a Christ follower in a biblical sense? If you did. You really said, I, I want to follow Jesus. That's not just an insurance policy for me for eternity. This is not just something I checked off my to-do list because I live in a Christian nation and that's just what you do. I really, I surrendered. I, I wanted to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to be a Christ follower in a biblical sense. If that's the case, it's impossible to grow as a biblical Christ follower if you're not immersed in His Word. It's the only way you will ever know what God is like It's the only way you'll ever know what God is saying. It's the only way you will ever know what God expects out of you. And so my challenge to you this morning is that you would use this day, this moment. Okay, God, we're about to start as a church studying the New Testament. Between now and Christmas, I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to read it with the church. I'm going to be here on Sundays. I'm going to connect with a group. I'm going to learn. I'm going to see what God is like. I'm going to see what God is saying. I'm going to see what God expects from me. Because I don't want just an insurance policy for eternity. I want to be a a Christ follower in the biblical sense. And that can only happen when you're immersed in His Word. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And the altar response, the application of my message today is to get in the book. Let God create in you a hunger for His Word, like Job, that it's more important to you than daily bread. My prayer is like Frank and Susie said a moment ago, it can't just be something you do on Sundays. It's got to be life between Sundays. Stop by a table in the foyer today. You know, we're going we're gonna to bless somebody that has that commitment and willing to stop by there and sign their name today and connect with a group. We want to reward somebody because we believe in it. We, we believe if... If you go back there and sign up because you think you might get a gift card, that's going to mean a lot to us. But if it gets you connected in community and you learn more of the word, it's worth it. We're willing to do it. We believe in this. And we want you to connect. I'm going to ask you to stand with me all over this place, if you will, this morning. I'm excited personally about this journey. To see in a greater way what God is like. And what I love about the word, I've been preaching for 23 years. And I I pick it up and I read it every day. And I find out stuff every day. Fresh revelation because it's living, breathing, it's alive. God's going to speak to you. 
in the coming weeks, not just in here. I believe you will, but I believe he's going to speak to you as you open the book and study it and connect with the group. If you're a guest with us today, I'd love to meet you in the connection place down the hallway. Some of us will gather back there. If you'd give us the privilege just to pause for a moment and connect and get to know you a little better. We're going to keep the environment worshipful and prayerful. If the Spirit is leading you to a time in prayer, you want to just get along with God and ask God to create an openness in your heart for His Word, then these these altars will always be open for you to respond in that way. But the application practically of this message is to get your Bible, get a copy of the story, do something, and follow along with us and take a journey. Father, will you bless them and keep them? Will you make your face shine down upon them? Will you be gracious to them? Turn your countenance their direction and give them peace. Put a hunger in our heart for your word and may it be fresh revelation to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.